Welcome to the third Photography Therapy Podcast with Brian. Could you please give us an introduction of who you are and what your background in photography is, please? Sure, yeah. Um, I started um, developing an interest in photography when I was a kid, and uh, my dad was a keen um, amateur photographer, and um, he had a, a Hasselblad and uh, a Leica M6, which he had in a, a locked filing cabinet, which I didn't really have access to, and um, I was extremely sort of fascinated by these objects. And then he also had lots of um, photography magazines. Um, I, I don't remember exactly the names, but I do remember sort of pouring through um, black and white documentary photography and stuff by Henry Cartier-Bresson and the like, Magnum photographers. So I, yeah, I developed a sort of an early interest in photography and then it's something as a hobbyist that sort of lasted throughout my sort of um, teens and early 20s. Um, and um, yeah, it just sort of continued as one of the things. I, I wasn't trying to make a living out of it, but I had sort of various successful sort of competition entries and um, uh, so on and so forth. So yeah, it's just been a sort of a regular fixture in my life, really, taking pictures, traveling with a camera. Um, uh, and But I wasn't technically trained, but I did um, go and do an MA in photography in Brighton as a kind of treat to myself in 2015. Um, yeah, so it's just been uh, not necessarily a way I've earned money, although I have done some professional stuff. But uh, yeah, just a constant fixture in my life really as a, an artistic passion, I guess you'd say. Thank you. So you've been involved in photography pretty much all your life, as you just said now. And I've known you for years, years and years. And I love your documentary stuff. And can you tell me and us the transition between real-life photography and AI photography? What were the elements that made you switch? What are the elements that you like? And just give us an overview of how does it work and what it is, because I'm sure there's thousands of people that they don't even know about the existence of it. And if they know about it, they don't know how to use it or what it is. Sure, yeah. I mean, the first thing I'd say is that I haven't really <clears throat> switched as such. I'm still, I'm still a, consider myself to be a photographer. Um, but, and also AI photography, which some people are calling post photography, um, is a very new um, development. Um, there was, um, a couple of breakthrough um, products last year, one called Dali, which was um, launched by a company called OpenAI, which uh, Elon Musk funded, um, and another one called Midjourney, um, and another one called Stable Diffusion. And what these are based on something called large language models, which was a form of AI that um, has enabled um, a form of natural language um, um, sort of uh, expression so that you can express yourself in natural language and the the machine learning and AI components can understand what you're saying so in terms of um, imagery this is this relates to something called text-to-image AI and what that means is that you can describe something that you want to see and the AI will will make its best effort to return um, output 
which relates to your expression. So the first, I got on a wait list for Dali quite early, um, sort of towards the tail end of 2022. And the first prompt I did was um, a nice skating polar bear in the style of a Renaissance painting. And it came back with this incredible illustration of a polar bear with a kind of like a almost like a tutu, like a ballerina's skirt on um, on ice skates in the style of a Renaissance painting. So, yeah, I was hooked from then. But um, photography at the beginning um, was something that was just not up to scratch. But um, Dali, to some extent, has got better at photography. But Mid Journey is the real um, winner in the photography space, in my opinion. And they've gone through several um, iterations um, from the original version, version one to version five, which is the present version now, um, uh, version 5.2. And each time it just gets better and better. So uh, the returns, if you know what you're doing in terms of the prompts that you use, um, are becoming more and more photorealistic. And I've just been kind of inspired to explore this new domain um, and amazed by the results, excuse me, and I've been publishing the results on Instagram and I've actually been getting more interest than I was getting from my own personal photography, which is interesting. And where can people find your Instagram? Uh, My Instagram handle is Norton, N-A-U-G-H-T-O-N dot photo. Just in case you're listening and you are, go and follow Brian. And Brian, can you give us an example of how, how AI photography works and how do you generate an image? So with um, Midjourney, you it's all based on a, a rather bizarre kind of interface, which is based on a Discord server. So you have to set up an account with Midjourney. I think it's midjourney.com. And then once you've signed up, you, you have to also have a, a, a Discord um account which is free Um, so you go to their discord server and then you type slash imagine and um, it brings up a kind of a prompt interface then and you put your prompt in and the prompt could be uh, very simple it could be um, a portrait of a cat Um, but um, as you sort of learn a bit more about the um the, the prompting environment, you, you can become sort of more and more technical. For example, you can, um, you can use cinematic language to describe the kind of viewpoint like, um, and the kind of shot. So if you want a, you know, like a, a fine art um, portrait, which is kind of like head and shoulders, there'll be one kind of expression, you know, various expressions that you'll use, but you can use the kind of um, expressions that filmmakers might use in terms of establishing shots, you know, whether it's wide, uh, full length, half length, etc., cetera, uh, close up, extreme close up. And you so can uses, also... So it uses technical terms to generate Yeah, so, so, and you can also use various cameras, like you can, I've experimented with uh, Leica cameras quite a lot, so you could say a Leica M10 monochrome, or you could say a Leica M10R, or you could say a Hasselblad X1D, or a, a Sony A7R5, or or anything in between. You can also specify lenses and um, um, apertures. 
So, um, so, and you can put words in like bokeh if you want to get um, you know a certain quality to your images. It's slightly hit and miss, but the idea is that the AI knows what through the training of its data set, its image set, it knows um, it knows what a photo made by a Leica looks like, and it knows what a photo made photo made by a medium format camera looks like. So it will try and approximate that based on the prompts that you provide it with. And where does it get the information from? Is it just the internet itself or is there like a particular way of <clears throat> knowing how a Leica M3 looks like? Yeah, so they're, I mean, I, I'm, I'm not an expert in this, but they're, they're trained on huge data sets. And so that presumably would include lots of metadata for images, both images that have been selected by the companies that make these systems and also images um, off the in, off the web, basically, um, and there is actually a, a bit of a backlash in terms of copyright. But there, there are some cases ongoing at the moment where certain artists have filed um, cases against some of these AI companies because they've been trained on their image bank without their consent, and that represents a kind of a breach of copyright. So um, case law hasn't been established really, but there are some interesting um, cases working their way through the courts at the moment. Yeah, so I, I kind of visualise it as being a bit similar to the um, kind of hip hop and music sampling revolution. You know, that there's a lot, there's part of this is to do with remix culture and part of it is to do with appropriation of other people's copyrighted work and there needs to be some kind of balance found. I mean, I don't think that if you're describing, um, you know, if you're saying um, an image in the style of uh, Martin Scorsese, that that should present a copyright problem. But if you're, if you're creating a derivative work, which is very specifically based on an artist's original um, conception, then, you know, there has to be some balance struck, I think, between the existence of intellectual property and the capacity for people to be creative with these new tools. But it's a very new, I mean, it's less than a year old, so all of this stuff is still sort of up in the air. So this was actually one of my questions. What do you think about... Alrighty, let's take a break. The Cambridge Photography Show is happening this October. If you're interested in photography, videography, or about gear, you should come and visit because all the major brands are there, loads of photographers attending to network, great variety of talks and workshops. you got a lot to miss out, so if you're interested, just please visit cambridgephotographyweek.com. Once again, cambridgephotographyweek.com to find out more about the show, about the tickets, and what's happening. Now back to the podcast. The art belonging to, to the artists and so on and so forth. So this covers the question really well. I mean, like, yes, I agree that it has to be a certain balance because if I'm an artist, like not in case of photography, because I think it's really, really hard to claim your rights of an image. But as an artist, I think there should be a middle ground somewhere, whether it's within submitting your images wherever you submit or... I don't know, making a case to really one of these companies, but it's, as you said, it's the beginning, so there's that much you can do about it. Yeah, I mean, I think basically the the precedent will be set by court cases, you know, um, as it is in so many other areas, that 
once judges start ruling in individual cases, that will that will start to set up a, you know, a, like a precedent in terms of case law that other people can refer to. So, yeah, I've I, I no idea how it's going to work out. And the, the other side of it is when you're, I mean, I see these things very much as, as being tools in the same way that a camera is a tool. It's still to do with the creative impulses of the person using them um, in the same way that, you know, like images made in Photoshop 15 years ago were kind of frowned upon by OG photographers. And now it's very much seen as, a, you know, it's, it's understood that not all fine art photographs are completely photorealistic. And indeed, you know, even if you go back to um, people um, like Ansel Adams, you know, the prints that he made, there was so much that went into the print process in the darkroom that, you know, that's a creative process using using tools and experience and knowledge and all the rest of it. And I think the same is true of these AI tools that really the, the um, it's still an artistic process and it's still a tool. So therefore, if you're creating things using AI tools, you should own the works that you're creating. At the moment, it's a bit of a grey area, really. Um, you know, I, I want to start monetizing my work, um, both um, as NFTs and as prints. But at the moment, it seems to be a bit of a grey area, really, in terms of whether I own the copyright to the images that I'm creating in the same way that I would do if I was making them with a camera. I'm sure there's, there should be ways around it. For instance, imagine if you create the image on AI, you print it out and you take a picture of it, that becomes yours because you're taking a picture of a picture and automatically that is your, 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 your intellectual property or whatnot. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I mean, I, I think that's very true and that's something I've thought about. I mean, the images that um, Midjourney produces are quite small. They're like a, just over a thousand pixels on the long edge. So I'm going to be using upscaling um, software to make them bigger and then I've actually been thought, thinking about returning to the analog process so you can you can um, submit digital files to be um, printed using silver chemistry technology so in other words you can actually make an analog print from a digital file already so that's um, since I'm predominantly using black and white I think that's what I'll be doing is making effectively analog black and white prints from the from the digital upscaled files that are made by AI. So there's a nice kind of circularity to that in terms of returning to uh, more traditional processes and techniques. Imagine if, even not, not 100 years, but imagine if you said this to a photographer 20 years, 10 years ago, you would have said like, in 10 years time, we'll be producing AI generated images to then print them as 35 millimeter film, people will go berserk. What are you talking about? This doesn't exist. Well, I mean, I think even a year ago, um, people you, wouldn't you, have un understood. I mean, you know, it's the same as with, um, I mean, people are more familiar with chat GPT in terms of um, what's happened with um, chatbots over the last year. But a similar thing has happened with um, uh, what they call generative AI image tools. Can you, can, you, can you show us a little example of how it works? <clears throat> sure. So this is my mid-journey account, and this is where it stores all of the images that I've created. And 
I mean, it's very much like um, looking through a series of negatives to try and find the right one. What, what I do is I, I run the prompt numerous times, so you'll get near duplicates, but, but some of them are more photorealistic than others when you, when you get down into the, into the granular detail. So it's a question of a kind of a curatorial process that you go through to, to find the images that you like. So let me walk through the whole process. So these were actually, I mean, I, I find lots of different ways of trying to get interesting images. This here is an interesting experiment. So um, this was version one of Mid Journey. So this is, I'll just read out the prompt to you first, which is, um, oh, yeah, I think it's at the bottom there. High contrast, black and white portrait of Albert Einstein, Rembrandt lighting, dramatic lighting, Leica M11, Sumilux 35mm f5.6, clean sharp focus, lovely bokeh, magical mood, film photography, and then this also had version one at the end. So this was the original, That's that would, be, would have been the return at the beginning of mid-journey, like in whenever it was last November or December or whenever the tool was made public. So that was version one. That was version two. That was version three. That was version four, which now looks like Einstein, but it also it looks like a kind of a depiction of Einstein rather than a photograph of Einstein when you look closely. Here is version five. Oh my God. So, you know, it's now Oh my God. Very close to looking like a, an original portrait of Albert Einstein. And, you know, this is all in less than a year. So I think the, the, the point really is that the improvements that these AIs are making are on an exponential kind of scale. So if you can imagine in 12 months time... Um, You'll be able to say hello to him. It, 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 will, it will be completely photorealistic. At the moment, the AI, interestingly, has problems with hands. So it will, the hands will be mangled up sometimes or you'll get six fingers or... And it reminds me of um, when you it, go back into um, the history of art and you look at the Renaissance and some of these um, painters, they would all start learning their trade with anatomical um, sketches. So for, for instance, you'll see lots of hands because hands are very hard to draw. So you'll see lots of sketches of hands or of um, uh, muscle definition and things like that. These are all the things that AI also needs to be trained on in exactly the same way that uh, uh, an artist learning their trade would be trained on. So I, I found that sort of very interesting that hands are very, hands are very difficult for not only for humans to draw, but also for AI. Um, and I guess we could actually go to um, uh, Discord. So this is, this is the Discord environment and you'll see that lots of people are trying various prompts here um, for their... Could we try and create an image? Yeah, so, so you, you put in slash imagine and then the prompt comes up and then you're away, so... What, we should, what should we create? A famous person? A famous photographer. Well, I mean, it's very hit and miss with famous people because it depends on the, the you know, I, I tend not to, not to go for famous people. It, okay. it knows very, it knows who Elon Musk is very well. Of course. It, you know, it doesn't know, 
It doesn't, you know, I've tried, um, you know, various different people like Gary Gensler, who's the chairman of the SEC, and there are lots of images online of him, but not enough for the AI to have got a very clear picture of who that person is. So famous people is... is, is Did you think it's if, quite... you, if you would add someone like Martin Parr or any other photographer that... or Oh, you mean in the style of his... In the style and maybe him, a portrait of of a photographer, um, as you showed us of Albert Einstein. Well, Einstein is, 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 um, is a, you know, there'll be lots of um, portraits of Einstein online for yeah. it to look at. So, you know, I mean, I mean, we can try, but it's an experiment that's likely not to yield. Um, Who's the most famous photographer that everyone knows about? Steve McCurry? Um, Bresson, but Bresson doesn't have images of him, does he? Yeah, I think it might be a bit of a dead end. Um, oh, Picasso. Yeah, okay. Oh, we tried Picasso. Okay, all right. So um, let's try a, a um, black and white portrait of Picasso. In the style of, in his studio painting. Um, chromatic lighting. Let's just try like a M10R, since I know that tends to give quite nice results. And then um, you can add various things like um, the aspect ratio that you want. So then you put AR, which stands for aspect ratio, and then a space. And then you could have 16 by 9 or 3 by 4. I tend to use 3 by 4 for portraits, but you could have 4 by 3 if you wanted a landscape image. So 4 by 3. Um, let's see what that comes up with. So it submits it to the server, and then you're in a queue basically where you're time sharing the, the processing. This is a subscription, incidentally, which is um, the basic package which I have is about $30 a month. So it's not cheap, but you know, on the other hand, it's a you know it's a revolutionary kind of tool. So I think it's worth I it's agree, worth the money. So, so yeah, so, yeah. So, so you now see the image kind of appearing, and it, it it does four iterations. You'll see not all of these are black and white. So there's a coherence thing sometimes. So it becomes a very curatorial process. But you can see now it's sixty two percent complete, and you see the image appearing, like strangely in the same kind of way that you would see an image appearing in a in a dish in a in a dark room. You yes. know. It's a similar kind of like weird process of seeing it emerge. And okay, so it's finished now. So um, we're on a low bandwidth connection here. Normally that would be instantaneous. Jesus Christ. So, I mean, you can see it's not, it's a likeness of Picasso, but it's not a, it's not an exact. But that looks like him. Yeah. Like that really looks like him. Maybe the first image doesn't look as much, but yeah. this one. Yeah. 
Yeah, and you can see here, look, his hand is all mangled up. It is true. Um, yeah, and that doesn't look like Picasso at all. So it's hit and miss. So anyway, you've got you, you've you've said you like that one. So then, what you would do is you would upscale that. It's number two, so it's um, left left to right. So top left, top right, bottom left, bottom right. is one, two, three, four. So if you want to upscale that, you go upscale two, U two, and you might also decide that you want to run. So now it's upscaled that, so that the and that's a a, a one thousand pixel image on the long edge. Um, so so perfectly usable for web, perhaps less so for print in terms of um, print resolution. But uh, and then what you could also do is you could vary this. You could say very subtle or very strong. You can zoom out by 1.5x or 2x or you or a custom zoom somewhere between the two you can turn it into a square um, so there are various different functions that you can then run on on the, on the version 5.2 um, so this is waiting to start now so what it will do is it will take this as the original image and now it will create four derivative versions of that image that are subtly different so Say for example, if that if if the hand wasn't perfect on that, you could run another iteration, and you know by the law of averages, one of the hand one of the versions would have a hand that was usable or something. So here you have four, and you'll see that actually he's wearing slightly different um, outfits, and the painting that he's making is slightly different. And there's a statue in the background here. The statues are different. There's no statue here. So you've got very subtly different and also he looks slightly different in each I still think number two is the best one like again yeah so I mean that's mind-blowing yeah so you can see the potential anyway and, and when you think that the, these um, this is only going to get more and more coherent you know every month until it's indistingu it's indistinguishable from Picasso, you know, you wouldn't be able to know whether that was a a real photo that was taken of Picasso or um, or an AI generated one. So where do you think this whole AI concept is going to go in the future? What do you think we'll be able to do, and how are we going to be able to use these photographs? Because I don't see I don't see. I mean, of course, there's a massive difference between being a photographer capturing the light and there's a massive difference between being a photographer and creating the light. Yeah, I mean, it's, I've, I've been so kind of engrossed in just the process of learning and iterating and seeing what I can come up with and experimenting with light and um, why I've started with, with black and white is because, you know, um, well, you'll know as a photographer that you kind of, if you shoot lots of black and white, you tend to think differently about uh, light and shade and contrast and the kind of images that you're creating. You know, some black and white images will work only in black and white, and some images will work only in color. You know, um, so I've I've started with black and white as a kind of a first principles thing to try and master the art of black and white AI photography before I start getting involved in the in the realm of color. And I, I did the same with, um, with analog photography as well. Um, so that is to say, I haven't really had 
I haven't really taken much time to reflect on on the bigger picture stuff. I mean, obviously it means um, I did an MA in photography and um, I learned a new word when I was there, which was indexicality. And this is to do with uh, the photo being an index of something that it's representing. So in other words, if you take a picture of a vase, then the photo becomes an index of the vase. In other words, it says that this is a photo of an object in the real world that's a vase, so it's indexical of the vase. And um, pretty much since the beginning of photography, that's been the basic assumption, is that a photograph is, is a record of something that exists or existed in the real world. Now, obviously, people like Stalin airbrushed Trotsky out of, out of images, so there's, you know, there's been some kind of contention about the fact that a photograph represents a a real scenario in in the three-dimensional world but to all intents and purposes you know the way that we use camera phones for example we're used to photographs being records of of events or objects that that exist in the real world and i think with the dawn of this um, ai we can no longer and, and that's across deep fakes and all kinds of other areas but basically that um that that um, thing that has held photography in place is is now dead, basically. Phot photographs can no longer be indicative of something that happened in the real world. Wow. But if you think about it, that is true. Like with these tools, when you're unable to recognize whether it's a true photograph or an AI-generated image, I want to I tell a story about this is how it was inspired to get you on the podcast because I know that you do AI photography but I was never kind of hooked on it until I saw an article about I don't know the names I don't know who he is where he's from or anything until this gentleman submitted his work for Sony Photography Awards right yeah I saw that story too and he won the competition with an AI generated photograph yeah he 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 did some post processing, so there was part part of that was Photoshop as well. But the the raw material that he used to create the image was AI generated, uh, and he didn't accept the award. He went to collect it. I mean, on one level, it was a bit of a PR, PR stunt. But he so he went to the, he went to the um, whatever it was the um, the ceremony and basically stood up and said that I created this with AI and AI is not photography, therefore I don't accept the award. And Imagine you're going yeah. to win one of the most prestigious photography awards because I think Sony photography awards are the most prestigious ones. Yeah. And you refuse it because it's AI generated. Yeah. Yeah, so that kind of says it all really, doesn't it? When, when AI generated images start winning photography awards, and we're we're less than a year in, you know. We're less than a year in. And cut. <laughs> Thank you very much, Brian. This was amazing, honestly. Yeah. This was amazing, and I hope that people who will listen to to this, they will get something out of it because this is so new. Honestly, this is so new that they can't even keep up with it. Like yeah, man, last year, an image that is generated by AI wins a photography award. What's next? Yeah, I mean, I think. I mean, you know, from my personal perspective, I think um, I'm going to try and ride this wave because I think it's, I think it's such an important development that there there are going to be a number of 
of early AI artists who will be recognized in the, you know, in the same way that people who, who were early um, uh, proponents of cubism or, you know, it's, it's a genre in its own right. And therefore people who crack it early on will, will become, you know, for want of a better expression, famous artists. So, I hope so, because it's, yeah. it's a form of art. I mean, I personally don't see this as photography. Because yeah. it's not, because you're not yeah. capturing anything, but it's imagery. Yeah. Imagery and photography, by the end of it, in a digital world, are the same thing. Yeah. I mean, I think the difference is the photorealism, isn't it? I mean, I've seen people sketching. Um, you know, you see them occasionally on Instagram, people who can sketch things and they do the eyes so amazingly that you could barely tell the difference between it being a photorealistic eye and an eye that was drawn with the human hand. But Sometimes it just looks... The same thing. Sometimes yeah. if you put them in front of you, you'd say, okay, this painting looks more of a photograph than a photograph looks of a, of a photograph. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so it's a similar thing. And I agree with you. It's not, it's not photography, but, but there's certainly a, a, a blurring of the boundaries. You're using quite a lot of the same skills, a knowledge of light and shade, uh, of lighting, of um, camera angles, which lenses to use. You know, all of that kind of stuff, potentially at least, comes into play in the same way, you know, and it's not just going to stop with stills either. This is going to move into video so that you could actually write a script like a director would write a script with, you know, storyboarding and explaining the scene and then the dialogue and all the rest of it. And, and you know, I'd say probably within 10 years, there'll be, there'll be full-length feature films made uh, by AI. I'd love to see that. I would really love to see that because you can make a movie out of anything in any style at any point. Yeah. With no budget, but well, no production budget whatsoever. Yeah. And that would change the world. Like it really would. Yeah. I mean, I've already heard people say that about some of my photos. Like to take that picture would have required makeup, um, someone organizing um, a travel budget. You know, a, a full Being itinerary. Yeah, uh, yeah, model, model releases, legal, all of this stuff, and basically you've just clicked a button and there it is. You know, if you think about it, this, this, this could be so revolutionary. Like it really could be from every point of view. Yeah. From every point of view. Yeah. And as you said earlier, I think I completely agree that to generate an image like you do, it's not just saying black and white portrait of a lady with cool lighting in the background of. No, yeah. no, 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 yeah. no, no, like an M11 or what, what dot with the, with the 56 millimeter 1.2. Yeah. Like people don't know this. Like the yeah. more technical you are, the better image you're going to produce as a photographer. Yeah, as, totally. As a generator, yeah. I think. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, I'm still learning, but it's definitely a process of refining prompts. You know, they, they're already calling people prompt engineers. You know, there's a, so, um, you know, um, it's, there's a new classification of job called prompt engineer now. I mean, you, you have to know a, a Python and a few other things, but you know, there, is, there are people now earning three and 400 grand a year, specializing in being a prompt engineer so that they know how to interrogate chat GPT-4 in order to get amazing results, much better than the average user stumbling into chat GPT would be able to get because they know how to op, you know, optimize the text that they're putting in and to, they know all the tricks of the trade in order to generate the best results from the software. And I think you know, the, on a smaller scale, the same is true of the, the, 
the image side of things, you know. I'll definitely explore this image making, this image generating for photography as a business, because why not? Yeah. Why not? Yeah. Well, thank you again, Brian. This was amazing. Pleasure, man.